0: So Romans chapter 9, beginning at verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock, oops, I'm sorry, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the word of our Lord. What shall we say then? You know that Phrase serves as a marker in our passage. It tells us that something very important is about to follow. Paul is the only one in the Bible who uses this expression, and he uses it only in Romans, and he uses it six times. Here's the last of those six. And he's asking us, demanding us, compelling us even, to contemplate something that we may have missed And so this is the last time he says, what shall we say then? And what he's saying to us is sit up, take notice, look closely. There's something that you thought you heard, but you didn't really. So with Paul's question here in verse 30, what shall we say then? He's asking us to notice something. There's a paradox in the Christian life, and you may have missed it, or so thinks Paul. And it's almost with the beginning of this passage that he is voluntarily, voluntarily slowing himself down so that you can catch up with him, but not just catch up with him, but so that you can catch a problem that you may have missed the first time around, and so he is going to restate things because he thinks you're missing something. And he thinks I'm missing something. You know, a Christian should know that since Christ himself satisfies all of God's holy demands, a person is acceptable before God, not because they meet God's demands, they don't, but because they have faith in the one who does meet those demands. Now, that's an earth shattering reality. And if we take light of it, Paul has this to say What shall we say then? Because he wants you to see how remarkable that reality is. What is our passage about then? It's about a paradox. And in fact, it's it's about two paradoxes. And that's exactly what he he turns us to when he says, uh, what shall we say then? One paradox is that there are a kind of people that exist in the world and they're Gentiles. And some of those Gentiles, here's the paradox, they, uh, they attain salvation without even pursuing it. That's a paradox. There's some Gentiles in the world who attain salvation without even pursuing it. And the other paradox is this, is that there are some uh, Israelites Some Jews who don't attain salvation, even though they've pursued it with everything they have. You hear that? There are two paradoxes, two kinds of people that don't seem as though they ought to exist. But if we uh, stack all of the verses in Romans 1 through 8 up to this point in 9 verse 30, uh, Paul has been making this very argument, but here he's telling us to slow down and pay attention Did you catch these two paradoxes? Did they not stand out to you? Don't miss them. Because the only reason that these paradoxes can actually exist in a way that is not contradictory is because of this. They exist because the way of the Christian life happens only by Jesus It's because Jesus alone is the one who meets the holy demands of God that a person can be saved, not by pursuing God, but by faith in Jesus. It's not a pursuit. It's faith. And so we have this uh, paradox first of some Gentiles, and we have this paradox of uh, some who are of the family of Israel. And we'll begin in verse 30 where Paul begins. He begins with the paradox of some Gentiles. You know, righteousness uh, occurs six times in our passage, so we probably ought to ask what it is. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, righteousness refers to rightness before God. So whether someone is righteous or someone is not righteous, it isn't open to interpretation, This kind of righteousness isn't the kind of righteousness that can be debated. It can't be settled by a jury. Righteousness, as it's understood here, is always rightness according to God's judgment and God's judgment alone. And since we cannot enter the mind of God, righteousness is something that we know only if God reveals it to us, if he tells us. And so uh, this image then of righteousness gets us to uh, an understanding of what exactly it means to say that anyone is righteous. The idea is this, is that righteousness is a rightness before God, and he has to declare it so. Rightness is God declaring himself that he is satisfied. And so to be righteous before God is to hear his own declaration of being right. It's like a declaration of innocence that only he can make because he is the only one who defines what righteousness is. It's a big idea, but that's that's important for us in this passage. And we need to understand that even at the very beginning when we're contemplating the paradox of the Gentile. But there's also this, we need to be reminded of what Paul has already said, and that is this, that uh, Gentiles don't have certain advantages that Jews have. Gentiles, unlike the Jews, they they didn't have the benefit of growing up with the written law. They didn't have the Old Testament. They didn't have the oracles of God, Romans 3.2. Uh, They didn't have the religious worship of the temple or the synagogue. They didn't have the genetic connection to the very patriarchs. Uh, They didn't have uh, these benefits that the Jews have. And those benefits are listed at the beginning of chapter 9 in verses 4 through 5. Now, all of these things, well, they're handy, these advantages... I mean, to pursue something is to use uh, everything that you have to reach an objective. And this is our first uh, athletic word, to pursue. So to pursue, it's it's taking everything that you have, all of your resources that you might reach an objective. The pursuit is like that athletic endeavor in which you use every asset at your disposal, mind, uh, body, strength, to achieve victory. And Paul's already said to us that Gentiles, they didn't have these uh, these actual resources for the pursuit of righteousness. Uh, The Jews, they they have those advantages, but the Gentiles, they didn't. And so they, they couldn't have pursued a right standing before God through these advantages because they didn't have these advantages. And yet, and yet, some Gentiles, Christian Gentiles in the church at Rome... Actually, achieve righteousness. Christian Gentiles, they didn't pursue that righteousness, yet they attained it. So what Paul means is that some Gentiles, even without having pursued that righteousness, have still attained a right standing by God, from God, a very declaration of God of their innocence. Now, if you, if you peel back the layers, here's the real paradox. Paul counteracts a very potent word to refer to these Gentile Christians. In verse 30, he doesn't say that they pursued, he says that they did not pursue. And if you remember that to pursue something is an athletic endeavor in which you use all of the assets at your disposal, for them to not pursue, well, we should ask this question, what did they do instead? I mean, if they didn't have the advantages to use in that pursuit, and not only that, if they did not pursue, and then added to that that they've attained the righteousness of God, well, if they didn't pursue, what do they do instead? He to pursue, it's, a, it's an action word, isn't it? It's hard to say the word pursue and, and, and sit still. It's filled with action. And in verse 30, Paul is using this word uh, pursue. He's using it as a participle. You remember what a participle is? It's a verb that's used for a noun. But uh, it's still, it's, it's a verb. It, it's, it's dripped with activity. And these Gentiles, they didn't do that action word, pursue. So how? How could they attain anything? Not to mention God's righteousness. What Paul does here at the very beginning of the passage is remarkable. How how did they attain anything at all without pursuing? And, and Paul, he, he doesn't actually tell us. He, he just gives us two small Greek words to describe what they did. And neither of those two small Greek words are action words. In fact, not even, not even a verb. Paul says that they attained righteousness by faith. And he sits this hot activity next to uh, doing nothing, anti-activity. And he makes us uh, see them together by faith. He doesn't even stop here to explain the incongruity. They didn't perform a work. They didn't pursue. They didn't do anything. He just says righteousness by faith. Now, this is the paradox of the Gentile believer. But before we begin with the paradox of the Israelite, I want to say to you that this riddle that Paul leaves hanging is actually solved. It's just that Paul is going to change the subject for a moment. But he is going to solve that riddle of uh, the Gentile salvation. And let me give you a hint at where he solves that riddle. He's making us hit the pause button and wait till all the way at the bottom in Romans 10, verse 4. And in 10, verse 4, uh, we see that word again, faith. But you'll notice that in the ESV, it's translated differently. Belief. But it's the same word. But right now, what Paul wants us to do in verse 31 is he wants us to contemplate the second paradox. One is that the people who do not work, do not pursue, attain a right standing before God. The other paradox is that a people who do work actually don't attain a right standing before God. There's something very important here. We have to hear background to the word that Paul uses uh, to describe Jews. He uses the word Israel. Now, he doesn't use the word Jew very often at all in Romans chapter 9 through 11. When Paul mentions the word Israel in verse 31, we should be thinking of one aspect about being uh, of Israel. And that comes from earlier in this chapter. Paul's already told us how to understand the word Israel, and so when we uh, see it in verse thirty-one, we're to think in uh, think along the lines of Romans nine six, where Paul says, "Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel." And this reality is repeated again in Romans 9, 27, where Paul, he's uh, looking back into the prophets and he quotes Isaiah 10. Uh, and he says, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea. We know that from Genesis 12. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. And so Romans 9, 6 And Romans 9, 27, teach us how to understand Israel before we see that word here in verse 31. When Paul mentions Israel, he's bringing to mind that difficult reality that not all of Israel are true followers of God. Not all of Israel are righteous in God's sight. And this is a very sobering assertion, but Paul's not kidding Remember how chapter 9 begins, Paul, he's desperately anguished that many of his brothers and sisters, many of his kinsmen according to the flesh, his fellow Israelites, many of them in God's eyes, well, they're not truly of Israel, they're not saved, they have so many advantages, but they're not followers of Jesus. One ought to to wonder then if that uh, tone of anguish at the beginning of Romans chapter 9 is just beginning to crack when he uh, here tells us what is it then that will achieve salvation for someone. But he's in anguish over them. There's at least a portion of the people of Israel who, Paul says, have worked very hard using every asset at their uh, at their disposal, using every advantage that they have received divinely. And they have been working and pursuing and trying and enduring, hoping that they would achieve something. And they don't. Remember, these people of Israel, they have uh, assets. They've received the oracles of God, the worship, the covenants, the the adoption, the glory. And they have a a genetic advantage. All of those things listed at the beginning of the chapter. But this also includes the, the giving of the law. Romans 9 verse 4. They've been given the law. And the law, it it encompasses the Ten Commandments and and, and beyond. It it, it includes the the religious practices instructed by God. It includes the sacrifices instructed by God. It includes uh, the feasts, the pilgrimages, the prayers, the the personal habits that include habits with regards to um, how they are to parent and how they are to uh, manage their money, how they are to uh, relate to one another both inside and outside the community. Uh, All of those things that reveal the expressed demands of God Uh, They've been given to them. Now, some of them make a lot of sense, like do not murder, but some of them less so, like not eating shellfish. But it doesn't matter. This is the law. These are God's wishes. This is God's character. And if this is so, well, there's been a body of people who have said, if this is so, then I will pursue it. You think uh, about the metaphor of, of athleticism you know we expect the olympian to have that kind of resolve tell me what to do and i'll do it outline it in, in excellent detail i'll follow every detail this is olympian drive and if and 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 they believe that they, if they follow all of those details regardless of what those details if they uh, turn their lives over to that pursuit they will receive the gold medal but israel's pursuit of the law of god will never 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 helped them receive the gold medal of God's righteous declaration. They've received advantages, but employing those advantages seemed to gain them nothing. This is the second paradox. The ones who seem to have all of the advantages also seem the ones uh, who seem to be working the hardest to succeed, and yet advantages and hard work they don't succeed why is this well the answer is in the beginning uh, of uh, 32 but it's muddied up just a little bit Uh, the ESV doesn't present a bad translation there's a sense in which uh, every English translation of verse 22 is bad because to be honest uh, Paul and the Holy Spirit are breaking a lot of rules of good grammar in verse 32 The word uh, pursue actually does not appear in 32. You know, what we're trying to ascertain is uh, why is it that uh, these individuals with advantage and individuals with hard work, they didn't uh, attain righteousness? And as we look at verse 32, uh, we find it uh, to be rather hard to translate a phrase in which a a verb doesn't, doesn't appear. Paul says that Israel did not attain God's righteousness in verse 32 because they did not by faith. They worked and they should not have worked. They pursued and they should not have pursued. Uh, but Paul, he doesn't even use a verb at the, uh, here in verse 32. He simply says that they did not by faith. He takes the word pursue out of it. It would have been so helpful. They did not pursue by faith. I get it. But he just says, anything and everything that they did, they did not by faith. They worked. And they should not have worked. We could say it this way. They verbed when they should not have verbed. How's that for bad grammar? So what's happened What went so wrong such that the Gentile who has no advantage at all attains righteousness and the Israelite who has every advantage including hard work but fails at attaining righteousness? Well, those are the two paradoxes. And Paul says not only does one paradox exist but the other paradox exists. And not only that, both of these paradoxes exist at the same time. And what's the key to understanding how this could be? And what Paul is doing with the very end of this passage from the second half of verse 32, the second half of verse 32, all the way to 10 verse 4, what Paul is doing is he is providing the key to the paradox, and that is the person of Jesus it looks like Jesus shows up very late in this passage, uh, all the way at the very end in 10 verse 4. But in fact, as we'll see, uh, every, every, pe- every uh, paradox is solved at the very end, but the, but the solution shows up a little bit earlier. 10 verse 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That's the answer. That's how the two paradoxes are solved. But do you know what Paul's done even before 10 verse 4, even before 10 verse 4? He mentions Jesus, and I bet you missed him. Jesus shows up in the latter half of verse 32. Those advantaged few uh, who have worked very hard, all of their precise work looks a certain way to Paul. Those advantaged few who have worked hard, who have uh, received the advantages of the uh, Old Testament, have received the, the giving of the law, have worked very hard. Paul says that what their precise work looks like is it looks like this. Not pursuit, but stumbling. They've worked harder than anyone to pursue, and Paul says they've not pursued, they've stumbled. But the, the word for stumbling is actually a pretty violent word. It, it's not like they've tripped over a loose cobblestone. It's more like they've wandered out into traffic and they've been struck by a car. There is a place in scriptures where this word for uh, stumbling, which is, a, which is a verb, this word for stumbling is used to describe what happens when you hurl yourself off of a cliff and hit the ground. We wouldn't call that stumbling, but in the Greek, the same word is used there to describe that thud. Those who have pursued the hardest have actually missed seeing Jesus by crashing right into Him. They worked hard to avoid calamity and to arrive in the good favor of God, but they've received exactly what they didn't want at all, calamity. What Paul means is that there is a matter that needs to be solved before anyone will attain righteousness before God, and this matter is Jesus himself. And this perhaps is not what you had hoped for, what I had hoped for. Most Gentiles and most members uh, of Israel living in Rome at the time wanted to avoid the matter of Jesus and to either work hard for God's favor without Jesus or simply not to care about God at all and freelance their way through life. But Paul is saying that Jesus must be dealt with. And when someone has tried to work for salvation, Paul is saying you've tripped over Jesus. You've hurt yourself against him. And so uh, there is a paradox of a person who doesn't work at all and still attains righteousness. And there, there, there is a paradox of a person who works very hard indeed and doesn't attain God's righteousness. But the real paradox is that these people, describe every kind of humanity on earth right now. This describes every kind of humanity on earth right now. Let me say it to you this way. These people who had been pursuing very hard with numerous advantages, they've actually uh, tripped over Jesus himself. But this happens all the time today. Every person today has to make sense of life. Every person has to get up in the morning. Every person has to function throughout the week. Every person is engaged in discerning what is important to them in life and seeking after it. And to discern what is uh, dangerous and unimportant in life and how to avoid it. Every person is seeking a happiness and peace of some sort. Every person is seeking a wholeness, a completeness. Uh, every person is seeking success, all of, uh, all of which need to be understood um, or can be understood in a myriad of different ways. But the Bible says that nobody will be at peace without Jesus. You will either believe in him or you will stumble over him. And the stumbling over Jesus will be very much like a free fall onto a, onto a hard surface. Everyone must deal with Jesus. Jesus. And if you do not deal with him in this life, well, you'll still deal with him. If you avoid him, he will not and has not avoided you. The Bible says that to avoid avoid him is to actually stumble over him, but you and he will meet again. You collide into him or better still, he collides with you. And so at the very end of our passage, Paul wants to make this very clear. He says that Jesus is literally the goal of the law. That's what he says. Ten four is a very unique verse in the Bible, but it encompasses the richness of the gospel in a concentrated form. Jesus Christ is the objective of the law, the end of the law, the goal of the law. This is one of the most precious verse, verses in Scripture, so I want you to listen very closely to what Romans 10, verse 4, is saying about Jesus. Romans 10, verse 4 is what makes sense of the paradox of these two kinds of people. And the verse says this First, Jesus is the goal of the law. Jesus is the end of the law and that he is the actual finish line of that law, the termination point of that law. He is the one whom the law actually points to. Every feature of the law points to Jesus. Every advantage of Israel was meant to do this one thing, to point to the Messiah. And every advantage that the Jews have is summarized in Jesus' You see, the law is not a tool to use in competing the race. The law is a tool to point you to the enormity of the race, the distance to the finish line, the impossibility of completing that race. Everything about the law of God is meant to point to Jesus so that we would see from the very beginning our failure. You who think that you can earn righteousness before God. You misunderstand the law as human beings, as sinners, carrying over us and, and within us the curse of Adam, we will never reach the finish line. And so the first thing that we need to pull out of Romans 10:4 is that Jesus is the goal of the law, and that He is what the law points to. It shows me my failure. My lostness, my inability, my need. It points me to Jesus. But the second thing that the law does is this. Jesus is the gold medalist of the law. He's not only the one whom the law points to. He is also the end of that law in himself. Because he is the only one who accomplishes that law. As we look at that arduous race, we ought to know that it's impossible. But as we look at that arduous race, we must also hear that Jesus Christ is the only one who can complete it and has completed it. He's the end of the law and that he himself accomplishes that law. You and I, we cannot make the finish line. But he can and he does and he has. Only he has reached that finish line and he offers to carry us across. The law is not only where your own performance ends, it's where Jesus' performance shines because it becomes personal. Jesus is the one who gives you that gold medal. Not because you uh, made it to the finish line by your own strength. Not because you tried so very hard. That law, it's there to point you to your need. You cannot do it. You have the gold medal because he has done it for you, the great runner of that race. And try as you might, however you define success or peace or wholeness. Jesus Christ is the end of all of those hopes and desires and pursuits, because the law itself, the desires themselves, will they point to Jesus the perfect son and savior. And he is the end of that law because he is the one who can accomplish that peace and that hope and that success that you desire and he alone. And to not realize that is to stumble. And you will see this Jesus again because Jesus alone meets the holy demands of the law. A person is saved not by any of their pursuits of God as holy as they might feel And not even by uh, pursuit of God according to God's own holy demands in Scripture. Jesus is the only one who meets God's holy demands. And it means that a person is not saved by pursuit, but by faith in him. And here at the very end, Paul says that the paradox of the Gentile who doesn't work, but attains salvation, it actually makes sense, doesn't it? It makes sense through belief in the righteous work of Jesus. That's how the Gentile who doesn't work attains the very righteousness of God. It's through trusting in the righteous work of Jesus. He carries them across the finish line. And the same goes, goes for the, the paradox of the Israelite who works so very hard, has every advantage, but does not attain salvation. This makes sense only because he or she, in their efforts, in their work, have neglected what the, what the law actually points to. That the law is itself a proclamation of Jesus Christ. And they've missed that in their pursuit of performance. Well, these are two paradoxes that uh, exist today in the hearts of every man and woman. And the real heart of the matter is this that man and that woman need to answer this question What do you think of Jesus? Will you trust in him? Or will you stumble over him? In stumbling over him, you think you're pushing him aside for a later date. But he determines that date. And he will meet with you. And it will be a far greater collision then. But those are our only options to stumble over him, to put him on hold, or to trust in him. And those who trust in him are saved for all eternity because the law points to him and he is the only one who accomplishes that law and anyone who places faith in Jesus Christ has the very righteous regard of the God of the cosmos let's pray together our father we thank you that you've saved us this way is it too amazing to behold that we should be saved this way Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, lift us out of the, uh, the mundane, lift us out of the flurry of distractions that we call life, lift us out of the various duties that we have, lift us out of our worldly hopes and remind us we, we are saved because of the work of another. And his work is imputed to us. May we grow in our praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.